Welcome to NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I'm your host, Anna Crane, a licensed social worker and outreach counselor at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. I'm so glad for you to join us for season three, where we talk about all things healing. Let's get into today's episode. Allison Young is a spiritual coach with a diverse career path centered around helping others. She served as the director of development for a nonprofit, a pastor for rural LGBTQ plus and inner city congregations, a graduate research assistant for sociopolitical and educational research initiatives, and a chaplain in the ICU and ER units of a children's hospital. And that's not all. Allison was ordained in the, as an elder in the United Methodist Church in 2012, graduated from Perkins School of Theology at SMU with a master's in divinity in 2010, and graduated from Texas A&M University in 2003 with a Bachelor's of Science in Political Science. While her extensive career path is impressive, Allison's personal life helped inform the part of her journey where she walks alongside her clients one-on-one as a spiritual coach, and what led her to this podcast today is that alone. Allison and her husband, their three daughters, and their dog reside in Houston, Texas, and we are so excited and glad to have her join us here today. Let's get started. Welcome, Allison. We're just so excited to have you here. I want you to explain a little bit about you and what you actually do as a spiritual coach and how did you get here? Sure, sure. So I help people who, for whatever reason, are at kind of an impasse in their religion or their spirituality. That happens for many, many reasons. But in general, people are yearning for trustworthy teaching. They're yearning for practices that help take whatever is in their head to their hearts, you know, to embody it. And they're looking for a safe community to do that in. So we try to provide all three of those, whether we're doing it individual coaching or group coaching. Gosh, and how did I get here? Well, I'd say that my whole life long has been myself taking that same journey. And so, yeah, I've just been doing the work that I now help others do. So yes, that included seminary. Yes, that included, you know, I served local churches for almost a decade. I've also worked in the nonprofit sector. I mean, so it's just been a full and life, honestly, life, life got me a lot to where I am. Absolutely. And ultimately I would say grace too. So Yeah, I love that you said about trustworthy teaching. I feel like that's such an important place, especially if people are struggling with their journey in spirituality or just their kind of their journey in life in general. I know you have an affiliation with the Methodist Church, but the spiritual encompass people of all different faiths and maybe non-religious people too. Absolutely. So yeah, back to that trustworthy teaching, it actually connects here it's not to say that I have all the answers, but I will say that when my husband and I were in seminary, we routinely said to each other, why don't they teach this to everyone? Like, why can't everyone have access to this? Because, and if you've ever been through a process of kind of deconstruction and reconstruction in a faith, you know that, you know, sometimes we have to unlearn what has been taught to us by uh, the people in charge. And anyway, so it's, it has been amazing to, to have access to, trustworthy academic literature, 
et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and then therefore the theology that can be derived from that. So yes, I am a United Methodist pastor and I work with people from all faiths or no faith at all. Yeah, no. And I think that that's so important what you just said too. And I think this goes for healing in general. Sometimes we do have to unlearn things to be able to move forward. And that makes so much sense. So that, you know, in general, we know that depending upon your own belief system, the word hardship can have lots of different meanings. Some thoughts off the top of my head are losing a job or a loved one or even a pet, facing financial setbacks, medical and mental health diagnosis, infidelity, divorce. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about what hardship in general can look like. Do you feel like as a spiritual coach or, and as someone as, who's focused so much on healing, is it possible for us to be prepared when those things happen? Or do you feel like it's it's just, it, it happens and we have to deal with it as it comes? <laughs> well, honestly, um, a little bit of both. So I think that all of us born into this world, born into this culture with our ego and you know all the things that we have layered on top of ourselves to protect ourselves. Early on, before we practice, those things just happen to us. But if we, if we're intentional about it, and if we first do our work in healing from the hardships, I would say that as the hardships continue to come, it can get easier and easier. So hardship can be an opportunity to do some really hard work. I mean, just, just like you talked about, but it's a gate. I mean, you have to choose to walk through it. People also can go through hardship and not do any kind of change or, or embrace any kind of growth through it. And so it really is the individual's choice coupled with trustworthy leadership, a trustworthy guide who kind of knows the way it's going. So I would say that uh, my family alone has had many different <laughs> many different personal hardships. Yeah. And whereas they don't get easier, what I have discovered is that with the proper grounding and the proper lens through which to see the world and the practices in place, like I, in fact, just told a mentor the other day, he called and said, it's a spiritual mentor that I check in with. And he called and said, so how's it going? And I said, well, the waves are really tall, but for some reason, I'm able to keep my focus on the horizon. Mm. And he's like, whoa, calm in the midst of waves. Like who could ask for anything more? And I jokingly said, well, one could ask for calmer waves, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, it's true. The waves are going to happen. And I think the goal here is to have the framework and the, the spiritual muscle to actually be able to keep your eyes on the horizon. There was a quote that I read, oh, and I'm not going to be able to, to properly attribute it to its author, but it said, unless you become the ocean, you will be seasick every day. Mm. And I just think that's really true. So yeah, those waves are going to keep coming, but you can figure out your place in them. Yeah. And I think if, if somebody identifies with Christianity, we, we talk about those like earth shaking or faith shaking moments. And I, I so appreciate you acknowledging that like the waves can be tall, but the horizon's still there. And I think that that's such an important and beautiful part of healing in general is truly understanding that like, right from the mental health side, there's going to be ups and downs. We know that. And it's more of how can we still see that horizon? I love that. I love that idea 
how would you tell your clients that the horizon's still there? Like, how do you feel like you lead them to that? Okay. Well, yeah, I'm glad you rephrased the question because at first I don't tell the clients that it's there. Yes, <laughs> the whole process of the work that, that we do yeah. is is over time for them to, to figure that out themselves and to embody it. Right. So clients are often very different in what they need and what speaks to them. And so that's why I always do this combination of of teaching and practice and community. So, because it usually takes all three. We don't usually come about change just cognitively. We need all three. So, and sometimes that's reading a book and sometimes that's just straight up teaching. You know, I try to curate an experience that meets the person's needs, but I will say it's oftentimes the, it's a combination. I was going to say it's the practices, but no, I mean, it's a combination of what like their heart starts to crack open and then their head starts to crack open and then their heart, head, heart, head until they start to realize, oh my goodness, there's a horizon. And oh, by the way, like I am the ocean. Yeah. No. And that's so beautiful. And I think that that, I love what you said about the comment, like change comes from teaching and practice and community And for some people, it might be other things too. And that whole wraparound services of how are they caring for themselves and how is their community or environment shaping them as well? I think that's such a beautiful concept. And it's so important to acknowledge when we are going through those rocky moments. I feel like, you know, I think that that's, that is really hard. And so when you think about people who are seeking outside help for the first time, right. And, and they are willing to take that next step or, question things differently or examine things differently or examine their own purpose, where do you feel like is a good place to start for them? Um, Obviously it depends upon the specific person and exactly where they are in their journey. Um, If it is a deeply painful moment, like if someone has come to you and y'all are dealing with psychological trauma, that sort of thing that has shaken their faith and they're feeling quite unsteady, you know, that's a, a unique enough situation that I honestly would recommend the one-on-one coaching. So it's it's kind of like a spectrum what I offer. It's kind of like if you go to the gym, how you can get a membership and go and just kind of, you know, you can follow my Facebook feed or whatever right, and, right. and and learn as you go. Um, and or all the way to the the most specific would be this one-on-one coaching where the this experience is curated for you. And that would be the equivalent of having a personal trainer, you know, of saying, these are my goals, these are my stumbling blocks, um, this is my history, these are my strengths, that sort of thing. Um, if the person though you know, a lot of people right now are going through a process of just deconstruction in their faith. It's actually become kind of a buzzword where um, they get far enough or they read far enough to say, oh my goodness, if the church had taught me what the academics have known this whole time about mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the origin of the sacred text or whatever, like I would have never believed. And so they get far enough to deconstruct their faith and say the whole thing is a bunch of baloney. Right. And then they don't have anybody to help them. And so in that case, I actually offer an online course where people can go with other people in groups and do the the teaching and the practices and the community kind of all together. And that's a really neat space to, to work through one's deconstruction and reconstruction with others. Yeah, that sounds like such a beautiful experience too. I mean, obviously as a therapist, I like deeply believe in group counseling and I think, and also individual counseling. And I think that, you know, 
we always say, and I know that this is true in, in so many helping professions that we have to meet people where they are, right? We can't, we can't say, oh, okay, there's a one fit all for all of these things. Like, it's just not how it works. And so I so appreciate you acknowledging that and offering different spaces for people, you know, and in our podcast life, in our first season, (laughs) we have an episode about religious trauma and it's one of the most listened to episodes, which means this is obviously a big topic of interest for people. So I figured maybe you'd have a light to shine on this. You know, there are people who are hurt by their religious communities. Like you said, that deconstruction of faith is such a buzzword right now. And we're trying to find tangible ways to restore their faith in either their community or their religion that maybe they grew up in. How do you help people bridge that gap between, you know, where they came from, where they've been hurt and how they want to continue in their faith? And what are some questions that they should begin asking, you think? Mm, There's a lot there. Um, So again, I'd want to piece this out because we used kind of just uh, the the word deconstruction, but then we also used religious trauma. And in my mind, those, um, I mean, they can go hand in hand, but they also usually are, are uniquely distinct things. I think that let's start with the deconstruction. So Fowler stages of faith, all of us are designed, if we keep maturing the way that we mature emotionally and socially and behaviorally and intellectually, if we follow that same trajectory in our spirituality, there will come a time where we deconstruct and reconstruct, even if we've never had any trauma. Right. And in fact, that's, it's ideal, right? Like if you just stay at your, the same faith that you have, the same spirituality, the same faith you had when you were 15 years old, which most people do. And by the way, systems work best when most of the members of the system are at that same level. So therefore churches and synagogues, et cetera, tend to kind of teach to that level. Um, they don't do it just to keep homeostasis to hear me say that, but, but most of the people there, that's where they are. So anyway, that is their comfort. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, but if we're maturing along our spiritual kind of continuum and spectrum, we're going to go through that deconstruction process so yeah, that's where I would say, um, and I honestly don't know anyone else doing this because these people don't want to set a foot in the church. They're just going to be receiving the same stuff. But that's why I created my program that is specifically designed to be a safe place with an educated leader. You know I mean? We're, I have nothing against like crystals or I don't know, <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about here. Right. <laughs> but then the, the second part that where you mentioned religious trauma that might also lead to deconstruction, but that's a deeper piece. First of all, I would want to partner with someone like you or their therapist to make sure that they were, you know, their brain was being rewired to heal from the trauma. But then as far as reintegrating into a religious system at all, you know, it would be important to examine questions like, was your trauma at the hands of an individual or was it at the hands of a theological system? Is it possible to return to your community and it be a safe place? Or is that community going to continue to abuse you. And oftentimes it also is a process of kind of retraining on a specific level. So if there's someone from the LGBT community, for example, and their trauma has been that their perhaps more evangelical conservative denomination has given them all these biblical reasons why who they are and who they're created to be is not godlike. Um, it's going right. to take some specific retraining around that. And it's not just going verse by verse, it's talking about how do we read sacred text? What, you know, what different hermeneutics are there and things like that. So 
lots of things. And I'm, I know that was a really long-winded answer, but it really does go back oh. to where the person is, what their background has been, um, to, to chart the course forward in a way that is, I mean, hopefully wise, tender, safe, loving. I mean, number one rule, do no harm. So, right. You know, you, you want to make sure that you're looking at all those things before you just blindly move forward. And I so appreciate the idea of looking at the community and what is real for them and what is in their space and how can they move forward. I was living in uh, a small town in East Texas for a little while as a therapist. That was such an interesting place for me to work because I'm from Houston. I'm from a big city where there is just more opportunity for different types of people and therefore potential for acceptance into other groups because other groups are just more likely to exist. Um, And I thought, as a therapist there, it was so interesting to try and connect people to community because it might not exist for them. So I love the idea of them finding that in spiritual coaching and a better understanding of not just why this is happening, but also like how to understand through it and learn through it. So I'm, I'm so glad that you do that through like this validation and being you know, transparent with people and helping them understand what they need to understand and basis of everything you're teaching them. I just appreciate that so much. Well, thank you. And just to add on to that. So, you know, I am an ordained minister, but in, in the context of the work I do now, and the reason I do this work, I am not an evangelist. I am not here to convert anybody to anything. And and I'm also not here to start a church. (laughs) So, um, so once clients come to a spot where they're healed and I, and somebody asked me this week, well, how do they know? Like, how do they know once they've done enough? And I mean, so that's kind of twofold first is it's an ongoing lifelong thing. So you're never, but, but the real immediate answer is they have a peace, like suddenly as when their kids ask them religious questions that they don't know the answer to, you know, they feel like they can answer with integrity or wh- whatever it is that they, they reach a piece. But once our work is finished, or at least far enough along, the last part is to either curate, create, or connect to a larger community. I mean, we are, we're, and, and so if you're in East Texas, that's going to probably mean curating. And by that means you have to kind of put little pieces together from different places. Right. Versus if you were in a local neighborhood here, you might be able to create that if you had found, again, you still need some supports or connect. There might be a group already in existence who you can abide with, who will help you on your journey. So yes, absolutely kind of no matter where you are, that's an important piece of the puzzle. Yes. And I love, I love those three C's create, curate and connect. So beautiful and so poignant and important. So yeah, I so appreciate you saying that. So thinking about a lot of our listeners are parents and when a parent has to do their healing with watchful eyes, what are some ways that you think that they can help strengthen their child's faith while they're witnessing a parent living through a hardship or a hard thing, for example, like a divorce or something like that, and also model to their kids that everything is going to be okay. Yeah. These hardships are prime opportunities for us to, to demonstrate our faith. That does not mean that we have to have all the answers. In fact, I think it's best with our children when we admit to them, you know, I don't know how this is going to end up. And it's going to be okay. And you are safe, you know, that kind of thing. So I think the first thing I would say is, you know, live by example to your kids, do your own work. 
when life presents you these quote unquote opportunities where you could walk through the gate and choose to grow and change, or you could choose to just dig in and keep kind of repeating the same cycle that you've been repeating. I'd say set an example to your kids and, you know, show them that you're doing your own work. Talk about how you're going to therapy. Talk about how you're, the books you're reading. Talk about the time that you're taking for yourself to, to meditate or journal or, you know, whatever it is that gets you in touch with your deepest self. So that would be the first thing is the little eyes are watching. Show them how you handle it. The second thing I would say would be just to validate that this is really scary. There are scary things in life sometimes, but again, to, to do it in a way that's not like overwhelming for them. And that actually goes into the last point, which I would say, be transparent. Kids know a lot more than, than we think they do, even if it's at a subconscious subliminal level. And so, you know, hiding things from them, like they, they can feel it in the air. So to be as transparent as is age appropriate, but again, to always keep that contained so that the child knows that, that they're safe. Yeah. Two things that you said in that, that I absolutely love. And I want to piggyback on, because I feel like these are things that we talk about in therapy that are so huge is one, I think you said the opportunity to parent. Um, and I think it's such a positive spin on parenting as at large and also parenting through hardship is this is an opportunity for my to live in this, to learn from this and to educate and role model, you know, healthy coping mechanisms. And I, and I just, I appreciate that mindset and I wanted to make sure I underlined it and, you know, put all of the marks through it. Like this is important. And also I just, I, I really appreciate you acknowledging that transparency is so important and it needs to be age appropriate, especially I feel like when we're going through hardship, sometimes it's easy to be so in it ourselves that we, the way that we express ourselves to our kids is much more adult. And so protecting a kid can sometimes look like I'm explaining this in a way that is safe for you, but I'm not not talking about it. I'm, I am communicating about this at large. And the way that I'm going to talk to my four-year-old about my divorce is very different than the way I'm going to talk to my 16-year-old about my divorce. And so I, I just appreciate you acknowledging that you know, transparent, but contained, right? That, that appropriate level of communication about something is a really important part to acknowledge in this. That's right. And your mental health professionals are there to help you (laughs) figure out what that line is, that balance. Um, And you know, the same thing goes for spirituality. So we use divorce as an example here, but like, let's say that my divorce is now causing me to question the existence of God, right? So in the same way that you're going to speak to your four-year-old and your 16-year-old differently, you're going to do so in matters of faith. Like you're not going to go tell your four-year-old, I'm not sure God exists (laughs) Um, because they're just at a different developmental stage. So yeah, developmental and also just like grabbing onto what you say, right? Like a, the mm-hmm. difference between the way that a four-year-old is going to respond to mommy is very different than the way a 13-year-old is going to respond to mommy. And so it's important. And and like you said, I think in partnership is is so important with, with a mental health professional, with a spiritual coach, you're not handling things alone. And knowing that, what do you think is the best way for therapists and spiritual coaches to work together? I mean, to serve our communities. Yeah, you know, it's really interested how silo we've gotten. If you look back historically, we all came from the same disciplines, the same study, philosophy, psychology, spirituality, religion. Um, And it's actually a beautiful thing that we've gotten so siloed in that 
we've all gone really, really deep in our own, our own areas, but there can be beautiful ways to create formal partnerships together um, that are carefully selected and designed. You know, you want to make sure that you're partnering with someone who, um, who's going to be ultimately helping the client, obviously. Right, right. Um, you know, and there are, this could include a few different things. Um, I've seen it work beautifully when there's kind of a mutual referral process. Um, if, if the counseling practice is really on the cutting edge, um, I know that there's a lot of coordinated care models that perhaps include already a psychiatrist or, or, you know, child development specialist, that kind of thing, but to include a qualified spiritual coach as part of that care team and the coordinated care effort can be incredibly powerful. And you can ensure that way that the sessions that the client is receiving both with a therapist and the spiritual coach are working in synergy and, you know, using the same language and working towards the same end process. So that can be beautiful. You know, you can collaborate on workshops, collaborate on research together, and then also serve as a kind of as a translator between between the, these disciplines, our disciplines, right. but also like other disciplines or a translator between what's going on in the individual life and how do we communicate that at a larger scale so that it can affect pu- public policy or the way a faith community works or the way the civic group works. Um, right. so yeah, the, the, and those, those are just a few ideas. There are a million ideas. <laughs> totally. And, and, you know, to talk about that, I feel like it's so important, right? I would tell you that most, I love the idea of we all come from common roots and you're right. Like we did, I think we separated more because we wanted places of inclusion to look like very different models of each other, but that doesn't necessarily mean these two things can't like coexist in a person's life and, and not only coexist, but like really meld together and meld together beautifully. And so I just like, I so important, appreciate that mindset and appreciate the idea of this wraparound coordinated care for individuals who would desire, not only desire that, but would really benefit from it. And I think, you know, to have people in different professions who are willing to do that and get excited about it, I'm just, I'm thankful to get to talk to you and for our listeners to get to hear from you about that specifically. So it has come time for our rapid fire five. Are you ready? Oh my goodness. This has been fantastic. Okay, here we go. Okay, healing is healing is the process and the outcome of life's injuries making you stronger. Oh my gosh, yes, so beautiful. Life's injuries, we all have them and we all have to grow from them or else we just stay stagnant. I love that. If you could read one book on repeat, it would be Oh, that's impossible for me to answer. I would say anything by Madeline Lingle uh, and in particular her Crosswick series. Okay. I'm going to look that up. Awesome. The best version of self-care for you personally is? Mm, quiet, solitude, silence, study, and nature and movement combined with that just is the icing on the cake. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love I love the idea of being able to spend time in nature. It's about to get real hot in Houston, so maybe not, but I know I hate it. I told my husband the other day, it's time for me to move to our summer home. And he says, where is that? I said, I don't know, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's imaginary. It it exists in my brain. I love that. (laughs) So funny. Okay. What is one thing that you are proud of? Man, the grit to just keep going. I love that. Yes. 
I feel like that there's so much there and I would love to unpack it, but that's not what this is for. So, <laughs> but I couldn't agree more. I love to, I love to hear that. So what's one thing that you're deeply grateful for? Okay. So this might sound cliche or hokey, but honestly, it's to be doing the work that I'm doing right now. I've waited 20 plus years for this all to come together. I uh, didn't know how it was going to look or if it was going to look. And it just, it, I love, love, love working with my clients. And I just love that that's such a concept and a, a a beautiful description of how our journeys do benefit us in the long run. There are things that make us better. And like you said, grittiness and fortitude, those things, I feel like that is our journey is important to the destination. And so I'm just so grateful for that concept in general. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much, Allison. Before we go, how can people find you and get in touch with you? Well, you are so welcome. It has been my pleasure, my honor. And probably the easiest way is through my website. It's allisonyoung.co, Allison's with one L. uh, And from there, you can get linked up with all the things or get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, I so appreciate you and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us reach more listeners, please share it with someone you know, post about it on social media, and leave a rating or a review. To see what's coming next, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Finn Council or visit our website at finnegancounseling.org. Before I go, I'd also like to thank the people who made this project possible. My wonderful friends and guest experts who joined me each episode our production team at Three Wire Creative, our editor, Giselle Dixon, and the amazing leadership team and supporters at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center in Houston, Texas. Until next time.